The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Mark. Glory to the Lord. The beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I am sending my messenger ahead of you, he will prepare your way. A voice of one crying out in the desert, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight his paths. John the Baptist appeared in the desert, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. People of the whole Judean countryside and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the Jordan River as they acknowledged their sins. John was clothed in camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist. He fed on locusts and wild honey. And this is what he proclaimed. One mightier than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to stoop and loosen the thongs of his sandals. I have baptized you with water. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. The Gospel of the Lord. Yeah, it's a, it's a great gospel passage for us as, uh, as we plunge into this season of, of Advent. We see uh, the, the plunging into uh, the River Jordan uh, at the hand of John the Baptist of the people of Israel. Uh, they are eagerly anticipating uh, the coming of their king, and, and the, there's a movement afoot. Yeah, and, it's, and it's, a, it's a massively popular movement, and I think that really shouldn't um, escape our, our understanding, uh, and we should give it a look. You know, John the Baptist is, is such an extraordinary figure. He's not, ex- he's not simply an extraordinary figure because of the life of, of penance that he, that he lives in preparation for the, for the coming of Jesus and his eagerness to, to embrace his rule and point him out when he comes. He's, he's, uh, of, note, he's of note himself because of the massive movement that he leads at that time. You know, we hear, you know, the, the, the whole of the Judean countryside, all the inhabitants of Jerusalem are coming to him. That's a, that is a massive movement, right? It's a great number of people. Why would, why would they go out to see him except that they are eager to embrace the coming rule of God as king? Yeah, and this was one of the great revolutionary slogans uh, at the time of Jesus was only God is king, right? We have, we have no king but God. It's one of the reasons why when you, when you get to the passion narrative and you start to hear the cry of Caesar is king, given by the, the rulers of, of the people, that the whole, you, re, you recognize the whole thing is upside down in, in the worst way imaginable. So the people are eager for the, for the coming rule of God, yeah? And, and we see that even in the prophet Isaiah, right, he's, he's giving voice to the hope of God's coming rule. And it, it's interesting because when, when we see this in the passage, when we see the quoting of Isaiah in the, in the passage today, right, I'm sending my messenger ahead of you. This is John the Baptist. That's what Mark wants us to see, okay? Uh, John the Baptist for dummies here. <laughs> no, <laughs> I'm sending my messenger ahead of you. He'll prepare your way. The voice of one crying out in the desert, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight his paths. What, what was it in that first reading that was the making straight of paths? It was like the, the sawing of, of mountains, right? The filling in of valleys. Yeah, we, we don't think, we don't really think of it that way. We think perhaps, okay, we've, we've heard it preached in that kind of penitential season context. Yeah, make straight, make straight the way of the Lord. Okay, so like, I have, I have to make straight his way. Well, 
look, he is going to make straight his way. I don't know who is sawing mountains in half and filling in valleys, right? But that's, this is the kind of, of, of energy, the significance of the commitment that, uh, that the preparation for the coming of God as king requires, right? It, re it requires the moving of mountains, does it not? I mean, perhaps, perhaps something even more difficult than that, it does require the, the moving of human hearts, yeah? Are our, our, our hearts ready to embrace the rule of, of Christ the King? So we've got this, um, the, the, the theme is, is very much at hand, right? The kingship of Jesus. I say Mark is, Mark really is my favorite author. Mark is my favorite gospel, right? He, he has here in the first line of his gospel almost everything that's going to come after. He says the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ the Son of God, right? As we were talking about last time, Christ means anointed, yeah? And, and always in this context, we're talking about God's anointed king, yes? Yeah? So when he says Jesus Christ, he's saying King Jesus, because we're looking forward to his coming rule. We're anticipating in the present God's coming rule, right? His rule of, of mercy, justice, truth, compassion, the like. He, it is coming to bear now, Right? The kingdom, again, has been inaugurated in the death and resurrection of Jesus. It is being implemented now in those who follow him to live beyond death and go his way of self-giving love. Yeah, so here, here we have, yeah, that, that renewal is at hand. And here in the, first, in the first line of the gospel, he's given us that much and more. Because he says that Jesus is the son of God. Yeah, and to, and to that point, at, at least at that time, contemporaneous with Jesus, we're going to see that the, the title Son of God is given to the Roman Emperor, right? Caesar claims that for, for his own. What Mark is making very clear in the ver very first line of his gospel is that Jesus is the reality of which Caesar is the imposter, right? The, the ruler of the entire known world and the power that he has at his fingertips to exercise his rule, Jesus is the reality of which Caesar is uh, simply, um, I, I would say, a, a fraud. You know, I don't want him coming after me. You know, but he's, but he's not the reality. He's the imposter king uh, to Jesus' true and authentic kingship. The gospel is going out. Yeah, just as Caesar, when he, when he conquers lands or he wanted his rule to be known and heard and felt, he would send evangelists ahead of him to bring that good news, quote-unquote, to every corner of his em empire. For us, right, we recognize that that's often not very good news, right? When one Caesar replaces another, it's like, well, what, what are we going to do? It's a fretful time for us. There's, there's a, it's, it's turbulence. We don't know who's going to come out on top, right? And, and it's hard for us to follow the, the latest new kid on the block, as it were, right? Is, is his rule going to last or not? Well, Jesus, we know he has, a, he has a rule that endures. And so the gospel, the proclamation of the good news of his kingdom going out to every corner of creation is in fact the, the good news of which Caesar's good news was but a parody. Okay, this is, that's kingship, okay? I, I recognize, like, I didn't tell you how many points were in this homily. Did I? Did I? Yeah, I know. Well, the thing is, like, I, I thought that there were, I thought I was going to preach what's called like a chiastic structure of a, of a homily. I was going to do um, kingship, and then I was going to do um, uh, Exodus, then I was going to do John, and then I was going to do Exodus, and then I was going to do kingship. It was this, this beautiful thing. And then I got up here, and I've just, I've just given the kind of prefatory remarks, and everybody's still asleep. 
So it's like there, there are more. It's proliferating as we go, people. You know, we don't want it to spin out of spin out of control. Okay, I get it. It's it's pretty dark and it's it's damp outside, but we we gotta lock in just for the sake of my ability to finish the homily. You know, it's like we're we're gonna be we're gonna be adrift pretty soon. Okay, anyway, you're saying no, you're adrift. Yeah, I understand. Look, I understand. I take I'm gonna take full responsibility for the thing, but I let's I want to get going here. Okay, kingship. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you the abridged version, okay? You can, you can breathe easy, okay? Kingship, um, what did I say? Yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah, I knew it, okay, yeah, exactly, Exodus, yeah. There's a lot of Exodus in this passage. Did you, did you hear it? You hear, hear some of it. Yeah, there's the, the water, right, the being baptized in, in the Jordan is, um, is something of a, a new embodiment of old, right? Israel had to make their way through the Red Sea waters, so now John is bringing Israel through this baptism in the River Jordan in, into, say, as preparation for their entrance into the promised land, their entrance into and under the rule of God. Okay, so here, here we have the plunging into, even John gives it to us, I have baptized you with water, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. I have plunged you into water. You've come to me for a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, in preparation for the Messiah. So you're recognizing God, God is the one who is on the move. God is the one who, again, has to do something. He's doing something new. Just as he did something new in the Exodus to, to alleviate the, the, um, uh, the enslavement of, of his people, Israel, to liberate them from the rule of, of Egypt and the tyrant, so now he has to liberate his people from the tyranny of sin and death. And he has that, he will have someone at their head, the Messiah, God's anointed king, to lead the renewal movement that will have them overcome their yet greater enemy. They've gone out for that reason. Yeah? There's, there's more to it than that, right? We see that in the Exodus, God is with his people in a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire. Yeah? And now he is on the move to prepare his people to receive him as the very breath that he breathes, right? The very life of his spirit, he wants to breathe into his people anew so that their lungs can be filled. Yeah, his lungs can be filled with the spirit of the living and true God to give him praise and, his, and live in his service and affect that renewal movement that he wants to accomplish. But also, not just the pillar of cloud, but the pillar of fire. He wants to enkindle in his people the flame of divine charity so as to not only sustain them in their course, not only their journey to the promised land, but their entrance into and their living under the rule of God, but also that they might bring the effect of living the rule of God, the fire and light of the flame of charity to every corner of creation, that God is doing all that. And at the center of the picture is the person of John the Baptist. You can hear I'm keeping my chiastic structure. I'm just not going to do four and five probably, okay? So it's really number three. I'm going to land. I'm going to land here. Don't look at me grumpy. Don't look at me grumpy, people. This is, this is the best thing that we're going to do today. Granted, not my, not my homily. It's not the best thing we're going to do today. This here is the best thing we're going to do today. Isn't it? Tommy? Yeah, right? Yeah, JP, right? Yes, exactly. These guys know this is the best thing we're going to do today. Yeah, I don't know. I, I give you this. When I was praying this morning, this was my sense of things, right? I looked at God. I said, okay, you are an eternal exchange of glorifying love, right? So I'm doing my adoration. You all picked up on that, right? That was A in Acts. 
So I was doing my adoration. I said, you're an eternal exchange of glorifying love. You've called me to participate in your own life of love. But does my, does my life look like that? The eternal exchange of glorifying love. Am I psyched about that, right? <laughs> am I pumped up about that, or am I not? And you can tell, I'm pretty pumped up about it. It's not, it's not just the coffee. But I want you to, I, I want to be resonating with you on that level. Do you know what I mean? That's where I want to be with you. So, okay, we'll, we'll get there. John the Baptist, penance. Pe John, is the, John is the Advent figure, is he not? Because the Advent is the coming of Christ. John the Baptist is saying, there he is. There he is, okay? Now, John's leading this massive popular movement, and what is he doing with it? He's saying, okay, well, I've got, you know, tens of thousands of people coming to me to receive this thing at my hand. There, there probably should be a user fee on this thing. You know, like, if I just charge everybody a dollar, I'm gonna, you know, whatever it is, right? It's like, he has the opportunity to get everything he wants. Everything that he wants, he has at his fingertips, right? But what, what do we see about John the Baptist? Remember, he's, he's the model of Advent, yeah, he's, he's our model par excellence as we make our way through Advent. And what do we see? What is he doing? John is clothed in camel's hair. How many? Well, I don't know. <laughs> How many of you have camel's hair? I don't know. I wouldn't want to wear camel's hair. Okay, let me just say this. I'm going to interpret it for you. because You might have a nice jacket that's camel's hair. I really, don't, I really don't know how it works. I don't want to wear a hair shirt. Do you know what I mean? And not just because I have sensory issues. I do, but it's like, ah, this is too much. You know, it's, it's very uncomfortable and the rest. He's wearing camel's hair, leather belt around his waist. He's feeding on locusts and wild honey. Okay, this is our, this is our Advent um, pattern. You know, we have, no, we have to live this way. Yeah? No? Yeah? No? <laughs> yeah, thank you. No, I mean, this is it, locusts and wild honey. What is he doing? He's dining with, with, all the, with all the great treats that people are bringing to him, right, from near and far. He's, he's gorging himself on everything that, that the world has to offer. He's, no, he's not. He's eating white locusts and wild honey. Yeah, okay. This is, why is he doing that is the, is the point. Because we have to situate our penitential season in the greater season of what God wants to accomplish in us and through us. And you see that in the very next passage. It's not simple self-restraint on his part. It's not as though John lives to a, a different moral code. Like he's, he's turned up the heat on morality. He's turned up the heat on denying himself. This, this is not the point. The point is that he has to live that way precisely because he's very popular. And the movement is not about him. He has to point it away to Jesus. Right? So he has to deny himself all manner of things that would otherwise be his due in order to live, in, live the way and, say, point to the Christ uh, that, that he has, uh, that the path that God has set out for him. This is the same for us. It's the same for us. We have to live, turn up the heat, prayer, fasting, and almsgiving in this penitential season. I could say to you, you can do it in every season of life. It would be fitting because growth in prayer, fasting, and almsgiving means growth in love of God love of self, and love of neighbor. And that's what we were made for. We are made for charity, right? The, the charity that God is breathing into us, his own life of love, but then embodying that charity, God's kingdom. And I should say, in, in anticipation of the coming of God's kingdom, like as a participation in the coming of God's kingdom. That's what I mean by anticipation. We're anticipating it by living it here and now. Just that great letter from St. Peter says, what, he's, what does he say? That's, I mean, that's a haunting passage. I'm, I'm surprised we can read it at all without 
crying our eyes out. You know, it's like, this is the end of the world. Everything's going up in flames. How are you to live? Devoutly, temperately, right? Holiness and justice, devotion and the like. Because you have a role that perdures through the ages, even though this age is coming to an end, even though this age is going up in flames, right? Even though the universe is headed to destruction, you and your role are not, because you are the heaven and earth creature. You are the one designed to live off of the life of heaven, to have the life and power of heaven in your lungs, right? to be coursing through your veins, and then to bring that same love, that same life of heaven to bear in the world, in the building up of the, of the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. Right? That's, that's the great task entrusted to us, and it perdures through the ages. Yeah, and here in this passage and in our penitential season, we are to prepare for that reality, right? We have the role above all roles in God's creation. Are we ready to play that role? Are we ready to be indwelt by the Holy Spirit? Well, it kind of doesn't matter whether or not we're ready to, to be indwelt by the Holy Spirit. By virtue of our faith and baptism, we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. We are animated and sustained by God's own life of love. Like, are we going to bring that to, to new intentionality and live that way as a matter of course rather than as a matter of happenstance? And John gives, John gives us the way there. Let me say this. Yeah, it's not, I'm going to close with this. You know that doesn't mean anything. Okay, but I'm going like, yeah, to close with this. It's going to take me 20 minutes. I'm going to close with this. Okay, the penitential season is, is, not as, is not as broad and it's not as deep as Lent. Yeah, it's, it's pretty clear that it's not. Yeah, it's not, it's not, uh, as many weeks. In fact, how long do we have left? Yeah, two weeks. Two weeks, right? Well, so here is the, the encouragement and the invitation that God is issuing to us in the figure of John the Baptist for two weeks, right, is to live with, with him as our model, to, to turn up the dial a little bit on prayer, fasting, and almsgiving. No, look, pray about it because Jesus is king and he rules you without mediation, so I'm not mediating the rule of Christ Jesus to you, except encouraging you to look at it, right? Ask Jesus what he wants you to do in the realms of prayer, facing and almsgiving for two weeks. It's not a long period of time. And I want to give you an example from my own life, just as encouragement and um, humiliation, okay? So is this. My favorite thing to do in the realm of fasting is simply to deny myself. And this is like, I don't know, once, twice, three times a day deny myself. What do I mean by that? I mean like, okay, I'm in the, in the morning, I'm getting my coffee, right? I'm making my coffee. It's, it's nice. You know, this is going to be a good morning, right? I can feel how strong that is. It's going to be a good morning, right? And I go and I start taking a couple steps towards the fridge where I have, what is it? Dunkin' extra, extra coffee creamer in my fridge, right? I go, okay, mm, yeah, I really want, I want that. I want a lot of that. You know, that's what, that's what's going to make this coffee palatable. So I go over, I take two steps, and I go, don't do the creamer, man. Don't do the creamer. And I go, no, really, don't do the creamer. I really want the creamer. You know, I really want, so this is like, this is the hardest thing I've ever done in my life, right? It's like in the coffee foregoing creamer. That's what makes it so embarrassing. It's like, what are you, what are you doing? But the denial of myself, yeah, that one time, I'm telling you, has had ripple effects for days, for days. Because we live in like the, the ready um, satisfaction of our every desire, which makes us think that life is about satisfying my desires. It's about myself. And we all live in that culture. Yeah, I don't know if you, 
have experienced extra extra from from Duncan. But it's uh, anyway. Okay, so yeah, we all live in that. We all live in that culture, and I'm saying the the willing denial of self there allows us to find the narrative, right, the story that God is writing, and not live according to our little story, but for us to play our part in the unfolding narrative of what God wants to see happen in and for his world. So it's to be caught up, as we, as we take on those activities, the making flesh of the penitential spirit of John the Baptist, prayer, fasting, and almsgiving, we do prepare ourselves for the coming of the rule of Christ, right? The ruling of Jesus. He opened, and we participate in it here and now. As we do those things, he opens our eyes and our ears to see where he has sent us and for what purpose. He reveals to us the demands of love, and he breathes into us his own life of love as the strength that we need to rise and meet that challenge no matter what it is. And that's what he's going to do for us this Advent. He's a, he wants to see through to the end the renewal of all things. But here and now, he wants to be with us. He wants to be at work in us to affect that renewal as an advanced sign of what one day he will do.